Today's scripture reading comes from the book of John, chapter 4, verses 3 to 10. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you the living water. Verses 16 through 30. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him. Verses 39 through 42. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, Revive. We're in part 13 of our series on biblical justice. And um, in the Bible, there is three types of people that's emphasized for God to say, this is what justice looks like. I want you to defend these kinds of people. And they were the fatherless, and we spent some weeks on them. And then they are the widow, and we talked about that difficult and complex subject. And we talked about, there are even actually some pretty controversial subjects in our society about manhood and womanhood and the vulnerability of women. And last week, I began... Um, talking about what the Bible has been translating, the sojourner, um, which I think we would probably call the minority. Um, in other words, those people who have a different ethnicity, someone different than us. Some philosophers have tended to call them the other, you know, capital O, other. And I want to continue that discussion today as we talk about the, the, the minority in a message I've entitled, Fully Human, Not Reductive Prejudice. Fully human, not reductive prejudice. And last week, I emphasized this issue of inclusion. That, that really, the issue of justice is that of inclusion versus exclusion. And in the book of Leviticus, there's an explicit command to love the sojourner, love the minority as the native. To love them as you love yourself, which echoes love your neighbor as you love yourself. And even to love them in their heart. And I gave you this wisdom point, which is um, be very, very careful to not just look at people through their skin color, through their physical features, through race, which is the common way our culture does it. American culture is deeply, deeply fixated on race. And I actually think immediately this is a way that we actually walk in injustice. And in so many different ways, this is a pathway of Egypt, of America. You know, the Bible says you were once... You were once excluded in Egypt. That's the way the Bible says it. And I want to say to you today, Egypt, well, Egypt is America. 
And the Egypt of America, we do racial injustice, but it's not always quite the way I think our society thinks. And um, I want to get into that today, and I want to you know, step more into that subject by talking about um, looking for people in their full humanity, okay? Part one, seeking and seeing the full humanity of the other. Seeking and seeing the full humanity of the other. Do not just look at their race, please. Right? Don't look at somebody's race and think you know what they're about and uh, whether they are victims of history or not. Um, that's how our society immediately tends to think. I think it's a really, it's a really un unbiblical way of doing things. And it's very unrealistic. I want to show you from the Bible um, how Jesus doesn't do it this way. He doesn't do it this way, right? Seeking is seeing the full humanity of the other. Part two, resist reductive prejudice. And um, especially that here I'm going to go into the thorny issue of race. The classic way that we do reductive prejudice in America, the Egypt today, is race. Okay? And I want to push some more on that. Okay? And then um, I want to close by offering you the gospel. This really beautiful passage in the Bible. The coming just kingdom of the Lamb of God. Right? We need a lamb. Our king isn't just a king. He is a lamb. And the lamb, it's really quite astonishing. Through a lamb, we get the true justice for all nations. I want us to really fix our eyes on that hope, which will be a, a great certainty. Okay, so part one. Um, let's look at this passage, which our brother very ably read. And just for sake of time, it's, it's a lengthy passage, famous passage, John chapter 4, where Jesus talks to a Samaritan woman at a well on his journey. And um, just for sake of, of, of time, I, I, I you know, didn't have our brother read the whole thing. But, um, you know, if you're following, it's, it's a, you know, Jesus meets this woman. And I want to take you somewhat through that passage. And, and most of the time when people, you know, read this passage, uh, there's all this other uh, focus, focus on how Jesus is talking to a woman who um, seems lonely in the society, a woman who probably has, has had sexual sin in her, in her past. And I, I want you to, when you see that, and I'll emphasize it too, um, it's kind of like what we were talking about before. She's a vulnerable woman. I think there's echoes in the Bible of, of, of uh, have compassion and defense for vulnerable women. And uh, she may not be a widow. She may very well be a widow. It's, Jesus says very explicitly, you've had five husbands. And she may have had some of them die. Okay? And so... Um, but I want you to see, today, I want you to think about the fact that she's a Samaritan. I said last week, in the Bible, the Bible never talks about black versus white. It never talks about, like, race in the 21st century American Western conceptuality. You know, skin color, physical features, and we immediately think we can, like, size a person up. They're Asian, they're Hispanic, they're black, they're white. You know, that's, this, these are the categories we use all the time. They're just so, they're just, they're just, that's just the normal coinage of, of, of our language of how we go about doing things. It's right in our universities. Our most educated, our, our smartest people use this, use this grid. It's, it's a deeply racial grid. But it's not how the Bible does it. Okay? And in the Bible, I told you that the Bible takes seriously if someone is a Moabite or, you know, if they're an Edomite. This is the way I said it last week. Or if they're Egyptian um, or Samaritan. And I want to show you Jesus interacting with a Samaritan. So let's just, let me go through, let's go through this text a little bit. And I want to emphasize certain things to you and how Jesus sees the full humanity of the Samaritan woman. Okay, so let's, let's look at it. Verse 3. He, that is Jesus, left Judea and departed again for Galilee. So for those of you who don't know the geography, Judea is in the south, Galilee is in the north. In the middle is Samaria. Okay? So in order to go from Judea to Galilee, you're going to go like this. The simplest way is, is to go through 
a different territory, a different culture, their language, their accent, their food, their religion, different theology is different. It's a different culture. And today, if you were to meet a Samaritan and if you were to meet a Judean or a Galilean and you were to put them all in the same room, you wouldn't be able to tell them apart racially. So when Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman, her skin color and tone probably looks the same. He's, he, is, he was actually born in the southern portion. Bethlehem is in the southern portion. But he grew up, so then he became a refugee because then he had to flee for his life. His family went to Egypt. So he got to be a sojourner, as the Bible would say, a minority in, literally in Egypt. Okay, And then his family came back and he grew up in Galilee. Jesus has a Galilean accent. And for those of you who don't know, a Galilean is looked down upon. The, 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 the elites of the society are in Jerusalem. That's in the south, in Judea. Galileans have a funny accent. And they're considered the hick people. Like today, we would call them, the, you know, like they would be the Israelite equivalent of the rednecks, right? Or the hillbillies. And Jesus essentially is an Israelite hillbilly, okay? To put it in modern parlance. So he's going back to hillbilly country. The most direct way is to go through Samaria. And it's been said, that scholars have said, that the hatred of, of the Jews and the Samar uh, Samaritans was so deep and so serious that oftentimes, if you wanted to go up to, you, you would kind of, you'd make a big detour. You don't go directly through. You kind of go, like you want to go around. You go up the coast or maybe you cross the river. Uh, but Jesus, so it's a simple verse. And if you don't know the history, you don't know, we're talking about what we would call racism. We're talking about the justice issue of what the Bible says, the sojourner, the outsider. Okay, so I want to just, just paint that out. One simple little verse of verses. So verse 4. He, that is Jesus, had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. This goes way, way back. So this is a land promise to the Israelites going all the way back to their forefather. And for those of you who don't know, Jacob... It's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's name is Israel. Jacob is Israel, okay? It's a really important place. So Jacob's, verse 6, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, weary as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well. So this isn't just any well. This is like a well from the, the very father of the nation. It was about the sixth hour. The sixth hour... Six o'clock is the first hour, okay? The sixth hour is noon. This is in the middle of the day. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a, woman, a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Okay, that's... That's a very simple and nice way of saying there is very serious racism between these two people. They hate each other's guts. Okay? So exactly what Leviticus chapter 19 says for Israel to do to other people. So the sojourner in your land, the minority in your land, treat them as you would a native. Here's what Jews do to Samaritan. They hate their guts. <laughs> so right here, is a, ver, a very, I mean, all the scholars in Jerusalem, they know Leviticus. They study the Bible. They know God's commands. They should know the standards of justice from God, God's justice from the Bible. So, but inside their culture, in their culture, they practice gross rank racism very easily. The norm of the culture is racism. We would call it racism. Except they don't, they're actually not based, built on skin color. It's built on ethnic exclusion. Exactly the opposite. They practice exactly the exclusion that I talked about in last week's message. Okay? And here we go. Verse 10. Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God, who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would give you living water. So let me just say a couple things here. Um, first of all, Jews don't talk to Samaritans. 
to, in both these cultures, it's highly conservative. It's very, in, in sexual practices, you don't just generally talk to a woman. Jesus just break these rules. If you are a rabbi, a teacher of God's word, it's even more dangerous to do so because, and then, I mean, it's, you know, you're going to look like somebody who, you know, practices and messes around with women. Now, let me just push this even more, okay? This woman comes to the well by herself at noon. And later on, you're going to find out that she's had five husbands and she's working on number six, okay? So I don't know if you've ever, just, let's just talk about the reality of the world. A woman who's had five dudes and working on number six, okay, she's probably not, you know, the most virtuous woman. And in her town, the reason she probably, and everybody kind of, who's read this passage picks this up. They're like, nobody goes to the well at noon because it's hot. When do women come to the well in the morning? But why is she coming in the middle of the day? Probably because she's considered the town sexually loose woman and all the other women hate her. So today, you know, we have a really bad word, L-S-L-U-T. She's the town that. You get it? This is what's going on. So she is a, She's an ostracized and vulnerable woman. She may very well be a widow. She is, quote unquote, the wrong ethnicity if you're Jewish. And Jesus talks to her. Jesus respects her. Jesus starts talking about the deepest things, God. She may not know anything about theology or the Bible. He starts talking to the deepest things. Now, I gotta, just for the sake of time, other things, um, you know, he says, well, you've had five. He goes, you're working on number six. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. Let's just stop for a moment. Man, that's really rude. <laughs> that's seriously rude. You know what he's saying? Your theology is wrong. Your religious practice is wrong. You know who has the right theology? Jews, not you. We have the right understanding of the Bible, and you don't. And at this current time, there is a correct place to worship. And you guys don't do it. You're supposed to go to the temple. But then Jesus is saying something even more extraordinary. There's going to be a time when it's not going to be in Jerusalem or on this mountain or someplace. It's going to be something else. I mean, it's, he's just blowing it apart. So I want you to just see, in our culture, you're not supposed to say anything that would like, be deemed as, um, as disrespectful to somebody else's culture or to their other religion. That is a no-no in American 21st century you know, secular righteousness. Jesus just breaks all those things. Why? Because he wants to treat her like a full person. You see it? You have deep need of God. Let's talk about the things of God. Your understanding of God and your theology from your people, it's not right. It's, today it would be considered very rude and insensitive. But is it? I would, I would offer to you, it's actually greatly respectful. It's greatly compassionate. He's loving her. He is loving her. And let me push it a little bit further. This is justice. <laughs> this is what it looks like. It's complex. It's strange. And it's, 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 it's a, you're, you're wandering into like minefields. And you never quite know how the other person is going to react. You're going to have to step into areas that they might consider offensive. You're going to talk about things that are like, uh, that, 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 there'll be, um, you know, gray areas, disagreements but deeply human. And let me, put, let, me put this, let me say this now. You know what the center of a person's humanity is? Let me tell you. We regularly do not do this in America. The center of a person's humanity is how well who they are before God. 
If a person has no God, then let me tell you something. They have a God. It's just something else. It's money. It's just something else. That's their, that's their functional theology. All our neighbors, who especially are secularists, you know what we have to do? We have to puncture their Samaritan theology. I mean, just what Jesus is doing. He's puncturing this, her Samaritan theology. If we're really going to love people, we got to see them who they are before God. Hmm? Okay, we got to move on. All right, um, verse 24. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. Messiah is the Jewish word. Christ is the Greek, Greek word. They both mean the same thing, the anointed one, the promised king who's going to heal all the world and defeat injustice. When he comes, he will tell us all things. This part's extraordinary. Verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. If you read through the Bible, when Jesus talks to other Jews, he's, he's, he doesn't directly say it. He tends to show that he fulfills the Old Testament prophecies, but he doesn't directly just say, the Messiah, yeah, that's me. He doesn't do that. He regularly is kind of cagey. And some of the other scholars of the day, they, they actually get frustrated. They're saying, if you're if Messiah, just say it. Just say it. And Jesus knows that if he did, that, you know, it just would cause so many problems. And even then, their conceptuality of the Messiah is wrong so that it's like, even if he says, I am, you know, him, and then they would, you know, they would misunderstand it even then. But here, to someone who is not Jewish, who is considered the town basically prostitute, and who is probably a widow. See? She's sexually loose. And she's a widow. See? Like, you think widows are... Oh, widows are just... They're hurting women. Oh, they're sinful women sometimes. So here she is. She's a widow. She's sexually loose. She's the wrong ethnicity. And Jesus just straight up offers her... Well, he doesn't directly offer other people. It's incredible. And then she goes into town. And then he does what I'm sure the disciples just loved. They ask him to stay. <laughs> when you go through Samaria, you know how you're supposed to go through? As fast as you possibly can. You know, if you're white and you drive through LA, you don't go through Compton. <laughs> you know, years ago, if you're white, you don't go through Harlem. And if you do, you know what you do? You go as fast as you possibly can. But Jesus goes, hey, let's stay here for two days. <laughs> the disciples are probably like, oh, yeah, that, that's awesome, Jesus. It's just awesome. This is exactly the place I would love to stay <laughs> for another couple days. And you know why he's doing that? He was saying, let me show you what real justice looks like. And you know how you know the disciples remembered this trip? Because it's in the Bible and it's long. <laughs> they remember this trip. In the other place in the Bible, like you get a little trip, it's like, it's like five verses. It's two verses. It's eight verses. This, you get a whole chapter. They remembered this trip. Oh, they'll remember this trip. Let me take you to another passage in the Bible. Very famous. Again, about racism. And again, it shows you Jesus offering real justice, what it looks like, and how he treats and sees Samaritans as real human beings. So this is a famous passage. It's Luke chapter 10, verses 25, 37. If you grew up in the church, I promise you, you know this passage. Heck, if you did not grow up in this church, you know this passage. Okay, maybe if you didn't grow up in the church, you haven't actually heard it read. But I'm going to read it out loud, okay? And I want to take a 21st century version of it. And I'm going to ask you to think about it this way. I want you to put this story into Americans' problems. So I want you to think that Jesus is speaking to someone who's white. 
And, and so instead of he's, he's talking to Israelites. So that's, you know, that's the dominant culture, right? The dominant culture in America is white folks, white Americans. Imagine he's talking to someone who's white. Okay? And I'm going to read the story this way. Verse 29, Luke chapter 10. So he's having a discussion with, you know, a, an educated guy. He's a lawyer. A lawyer means of the law. It's not quite like a lawyer today, but they're highly educated. They make pretty good money, okay? Um, so he, that is talking to Jesus, designed to justify himself, said to Jesus, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Verse 30, Jesus replied, a man was going from Atlanta to St. Louis. You know, this guy's white. He's a white American. Goes to church. Good American. And he fell among a gang who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a pastor was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a priest... When he came to the place and saw him, pass by on the other side. Just, I just want to dog both Protestants and Catholics today, okay? But a black man from Alabama, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, putting on bandages and medicine, then he put him in his own car and brought him to a hotel and took care of him. And the next day, he took out $500 and gave them to the hotel manager saying, take care of him and whatever you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the gang? He said, the one who showed him mercy, and Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Let me tell you the whole point of this story. We love the story of the good Samaritan. We are all supposed to go out there and be a good Samaritan. Somebody's hurting, go out there and be a good Samaritan. Help them out. That is the classic Sunday school lesson. That is the classic Sunday school lesson in American, in American Protestant churches. Let me tell you, that lesson, it's stupid. Okay? The point of the story is this. You, bunch of racist Jews, the Samaritan was the real neighbor. The person you despise because of your racism, he was the true human being. He did real justice. You should be like him. That's the point. When Jesus looks at Samaritans, you know what he sees? People made in the image of God who have the potential to be fully human. He doesn't just see Samaritans. <laughs> see? He doesn't actually first see Samaritans. He sees people made in the image of God, precious before God. And that's the point of the story. Okay? Let's go to part two. I want to talk about reductive prejudice. And I, and, I, and I said it this way, I don't want to use the word racism because it's just such, oh, that word is just all over the place, okay? I call it reductive prejudice. So first, let's use the word prejudice. When I was young, prejudice and racism were synonymous. But let me just use the word prejudice because prejudice is this. Prejudice literally means prejudge, to prejudge. You see somebody, you see a feature of that person, you prejudge them immediately. You know, the, the disciples are like, okay, she's Samaritan, she's a woman. Ooh, she's here in the middle of the day, she's probably bad. <laughs> they prejudged her immediately, right away. Prejudged, right? To a certain extent, human beings, so now let me just say something else. You can't, on one level, all prejudging is, is not sin, Okay? All prejudging is not sin. You, you and I, we just don't have enough information and knowledge. You meet somebody, you meet somebody, you know what you have to do? You have to size them up fast. And if you size them up fast, you have to use a shortcut. 
A shortcut is a kind of prejudging. Okay? So, if you walk into a city, you see a big dude walking along the other side of the street, and he looks really angry. He's got big muscles, and he's got a lot of tattoos. And it's dark. And you're a woman. Yeah, let's just go walk on that side of the street with him. Is that a good idea? That's a pretty bad idea, I would say. Right? Now, he might be a super nice guy. But you can't know. And the point is not to go out and start having a nice conversation with this person. You're just trying to walk down the street. You have to prejudge. Okay? Everybody prejudges. It's because we just aren't wise enough. We're just not knowledgeable enough. But I want to ask you, inside of our hearts, that shouldn't be, we should never stop at prejudging. Human beings are complicated and there's a lot more going on. And a human being is never only what you see on the outside. A human being has a history. A human being has, um, you know, has, has a mind and a heart and a feelings and dreams and fears. And they are both an admixture of good and bad. They're nice people, kind people, wise people, and they're sinners. Some sinners are more dangerous than other sinners. That's real. Okay? And what we do in America today, in today's ideology of justice, we have this simplistic understanding of justice. Justice is very controverted in secular America today. And we have a simplistic way, and we're using a reductive prejudging. What, I, what do I mean by reductive? Reductive, I mean, is you just look at a person, you look at their feature, and boom, you just reduce them down to that feature. <laughs> and then we just think, now we know, and now we can just immediately, now let's enact justice. That's how we're doing it in America today. You know, this is crazy. When I was growing up in, in America, so I, I first came to the United States in 1976. I was five years old. Okay, now you can figure out how old I am, okay? We came to a town called Richmond, California. Richmond, California was almost all black. Okay, for whatever reason, my grandmother and, you know, and, her, and, and, and my uncles, they lived in like an old black town. I don't know why, but they chose that. That's fine, okay? Um, so that's where we, where we first came to the United States. And you know, black Americans, because my friends are black, because those are the only friends you can have, okay? They're black. <laughs> Whenever they talked about prejudice, it was about, you know, there would be black people that would say to another black person, don't be prejudiced. And you know what they meant? That white guy, you can't just think he's bad just because he's white. You know who I learned that from? I learned that from black people in an all-black neighborhood. But today, reductive, you just reduce a person straight down to his race and you can think you know how to do justice. Let me tell you, we cannot do this. That is so wrong. I can't tell you how wrong that is. If you're a Christian and you want to jump onto the bandwagon of justice today, you've got to be really, really careful. This is not the, it's not Jesus' way. I want to just give you um, a couple of examples of how strange it gets. I gave you just kind of like a personal experience, okay? Um, one of the things that I, when, when I, hear the way justice talked about in race today, and it's just the common thing. It's just everywhere. It's crazy. You hear somebody in Hollywood say it. You see it in the news today. The universities are saying it today. I, I, it's, it's super hard to take. <laughs> because, because I think it's just wicked lies. Because if you just do a little bit more digging... If you go do a little bit more digging, you're going to find out that the history is a lot stranger. It's a lot more complex and difficult than that. 
And I asked you to think about people's culture, not just their race. Culture, not race, right? And I want to give you an example of this. Um, this is a book, Discrimination and Disparities. Discrimination and Disparities. It's written by Thomas Sowell. I'm, I'm a good chunk of the way through this book. Now, this is just my humble opinion, but Thomas Sowell, I think, is the greatest scholar in the world on race and the history of racism. Okay? He's black. Thomas Sowell's black. And he's not as famous as he ought to be because he doesn't agree with the, 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 the common conceptualities in today's universities. He just doesn't agree. But you know what? If you just read even just two or three chapters of his book, you'll just know that he knows more than almost everybody else. It's crazy. It's crazy how much he knows. And so let me just give you one example. I mean, it's just, this is just like this again and again and again and again, again, this book. You just read 10 or 20 or 30 pages of the book, and he just does just the data that he knows, the stories that he knows, and it's across cultures. He studied Jews, he studied Australians, he studied Germans, he studied 19th century Jews, he studied 20th century Jews, he studied exclusion and racism in Australia in the 19th century. I mean, it's crazy. He knows it across globally, and of course he knows the American thing. He knows the American stuff like the back of his hand. And he knows stuff that, he's probably forgotten more stuff than you and I will probably ever even learn. So just give you just one example that just, just blows my mind, right? So he tells you this. So, he says a study in early 20, in the, of the early 20th century Pennsylvania shows that the rate of violent crime among black migrants from the South was nearly five times the rate of black people born in Pennsylvania. They're both black. Black from the South, but black from Pennsylvania. Very different culture. The violence rate is so much, it's 5x. So what began happening, what he tells you is that in the North, you had this thing where like black people would just go to school with white people and it all worked. So everybody just thinks there was always segregation and it was just monolithic, white people can't stand black people, and they couldn't get along ever. It's just the way it was all the time. And he basically studies the history, and he just punctures that, just completely blows out of the way. Today, we have something like almost 70% fatherlessness in the black community. You know what Thomas Sowell knows? He's like saying, no, actually, the rate of two-parent households was greater in the black community than the white community for much of the 20th century. And then you know, like, black fatherlessness doesn't just start to skyrocket till the 1960s. That's a fact. People don't know that. So here's, I was um, really interested in this one. He starts talking about, I told you that I, I grew up in Richmond, California for the first two and a half of years when I was five years old. He tells us a story about Richmond, California. So he says this, in the Bay Area, in the Bay Area, Black people migrated from other parts of the country, came to the Bay Area. And so this part just is amazing. In San Francisco, in the, in the, in earlier in the 20th century, black children went to schools that were not racially segregated, and the small black population lived in neighborhoods with whites, Chinese, and other races. Kind of like now, isn't it? But then something interesting happened. There was a company in Richmond, and he had huge shipyards and they needed to hire a bunch of other people. And so what happened was, in 1940, they brought in like tons, like thousands and thousands of people, moved from other parts of the country to work for this company in Richmond, and the black population in Berkeley, Oakland, and Richmond just shot up, shot through the roof. You know where a lot of them came from? The South. And this is really interesting. The black people that were living in the Bay Area at the time, this is really interesting. They didn't actually want black people from the South coming into the Bay Area. Why? So they're black. This person's black. Shouldn't they just be all like, hey, hey, brother, let's come together? No, they didn't actually want them to come into the area because they knew the culture was different. And they knew that their more violent culture was going to cause problems in society. 
And that's what happened. And then racial segregation started to happen and so on and so forth. Now, that's the story. And it's the story in Detroit. It's the story in Baltimore. It's the story in the Bay Area. Now, let me just ask you that question. It's a hard story, isn't it? It leads to segregation. It leads to racism. It leads to exclusion. It leads to all kinds of, of, of ugly things. But it's not a simple story. It's not a simple story at all. And let me, let me just ask this thing. When you meet a person today, if they're black, I want you to think about this. Don't just immediately think they're black. Oh, they're black. They've suffered systemic racism in our society, injustice. They're victims of systemic racism. They've been oppressed in our society. I don't think you should immediately think that. Why? Because if they're Haitian immigrants... They're not the same as black Americans. We just, um, Thomas Sowell knows that black people who were born in the North in the early 20th century were different than black people who grew up in the South in the 20th century. It's different. But we got black Americans, so let's just use something, and this is even then still relatively simple. Black Americans, black Haitians. And what if they're immigrants from Nigeria? How about that? They'd be black. You look at them, so you put a, Nigerian, let's say they're like second generation Nigerian American, second generation Haitian American, and let's say fourth generation black American. And they're all wearing American clothes. And they haven't said a word. You look straight at them, you can't tell the difference. Now, what if you met two different Nigerian Americans, and one of them was Muslim, and one of them was Christian? You can't even treat the Muslim and the Christian the same. Because the one who's Christian probably fled a country where they were getting oppressed and their relatives were getting murdered because that's happening. That's happening. So I want to ask you to think about this question. In order to really love the sojourner, the minority, you know what we have to do? Immediately what we have to do is admit our ignorance. In order for you, us to pursue who they are in their true humanity, like Jesus, you know what we have to do? We have to admit, I don't know a heck of a lot, do I? <laughs> and you, have, you can't use a simplistic, reductive grid. You have to use something much more complex. And we have to go and start asking questions and get to know them. We have to learn. I think this is super basic, but it's hard. It takes work, and it takes humility. It takes patience. And if there's ever going to be something like true racial justice in America, there is no way it's going to happen top-down through politics. There's no way. Everybody who thinks we can just pressure people through politics, this idea that you can go get diversity training in your company, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, I think it's total garbage. <laughs> it's guilt. The diversity training is built on a racist grid. I think it's a racist grid because it's a racial grid. What they ought to do is start offering something like the complexity of, hey, everybody, if your company really wants you to get better at cultures, they should have a day and say, hey, everybody, eat lunch with somebody who's not in the same culture as you today and find out about their religion find out about the oppressions of their country, find out about their culture and their language, that'd be a start. That'd be a good start. And you don't need diversity training. Maybe they need a class talk this way. And then they need a, we need a new lifestyle. Okay. I need to get toward the end of this message. And I want to share with you something really beautiful out of the Bible. Okay. There's a hope in the Bible, but I want to offer it to you. The hope is a very sure hope. Jesus is our king. And I told you that true justice isn't going to be a simple top-down thing through politics. And I think it's really, really interesting in the Bible. The hope of true racial and ethnic reconciliation and justice it is not offered 
where Jesus is called the king. It is offered where Jesus is called the lamb. <laughs> the lamb. Let me offer you the passage. This is Revelation chapter 7. This is the hope of the gospel. I think this is what real justice looks like. So you have Leviticus chapter 19. Love the minority as you love yourself. Love them in their heart. Get to understand their real history and their self-identity. Don't, don't you dare use reductive prejudging on them. Know their, seek their true humanity. And this is what, when it is fully true and is all realized, it's going to look like. So Revelation chapter 7, this is what the culmination of all of history when justice is fully won. Verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb. The Lamb is Jesus, you know. Clothed in white robes. You know what that means? That means they're now washed and they're pure. They're no longer sinful and unjust. They're no longer racist and excluding. They're no longer tribal. Let's put it that way. <laughs> With palm branches in their hands. Palm branch is the symbol of peace. After the nations would go to war, they would come together and they'd wear, wave palm branches. Because in your hand, in the old, when you hated them, you would, you would wave your weapon. They, they wave palm branches. And crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, around the elders and the four living creatures. The elders stand for all those who are the leaders. The four living creatures represent all the creatures of the earth. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God and saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So let me close out our message this way. I want to urge you to walk forward and embrace and accept your ignorance. You know, we're all ashamed that we're kind of ignorant about other people. But, you know, the way in America that we try to handle the fact that we're ignorant is we're trying to use kind of a fake solution. And we're using a simplistic solution, reductive prejudice. And then we want to proclaim that we've solved it. Justice. It's a total lie. It's completely unreal. And... I can just imagine people who just, of every different kind of ethnicity, if they were to receive this, do you think they would feel loved? Do you think there would be a real advance of justice? Or do you think that they would continually resent? I actually think that this is a form of injustice both to black Americans and to white Americans. So today, I actually think this is, it's like, 1976 was a more racist time than today, but what is being taught for justice today feels so racist to me. It's crazy. But the first thing that we must do is admit we have a lot of ignorance. But because we have been washed by the blood of the Lamb, we can make mistakes. We can walk forward and saying, you know, I'm not going to perfectly be sensitive to you. But I'm going to respect you. Jesus, who came into all our pains. In our ignorance. In our fears. In our racism. The ways that we look, we like. In our bad righteousness, where we look for simplistic, bad solutions, bad righteousness. Jesus came to say, put all that impatience and false answers upon me and I'll wash them away. The lamb came to serve. The lamb came to wash away our fake solutions and our fake righteousness. 
to give us real justice. And if we would be forgiven and we would be washed and we could be secure in the servanthood of the Lamb, then we could go forward and patiently sow the true justice of the kingdom of the Lamb. Not the kingdom of might and intimidation and of guilt and condemnation. The kingdom of forgiveness and patience. True justice. And real justice between the nations can begin to happen. Revive church, that's the church we want to be. We are here to offer new life in Christ for the nations of Silicon Valley. And nobody's good at it, okay? Whether they're Vietnamese or whether they're black or whether they're white or whether they're black Nigerians, we're not going to be good at knowing how to embrace them. But let us walk the way Jesus did with patience and humility and not be afraid to make mistakes because we have been covered by the blood of the Lamb, okay? Let's pray. Lord, an impatient people, a fearful people, a very insecure people, we want to cover up the shame of the history of racism. We want to cover up our shames with simple fig leaves. That's what the Bible says, that when Adam and Eve were filled with guilt, they tried to cover up their nakedness with a pitiful fig leaf. That we have been washed by the blood of the Lamb and covered in your righteousness, your true justice. So let us now walk with faith in the gospel and know that your true victory, real justice, and true racial reconciliation is coming. And we can walk in it and help bring it about. So give us faith and awe in you, Lord Jesus. Though we were excluded and though we were like outsiders in the world, you came to rescue us and then you brought all the nations together to be your family, to be your people. We love you. We honor you. Help us to walk in your kind of justice. In Jesus' name, amen.